Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Anywhere's Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by deputy editor Ben Travers and awards editor Libby Hill. We've previously stated that our goal, as we've been releasing in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, is that these podcasts would serve as a respite from the onslaught of terrible news. But in the wake of the past week's protests across the country in response to the senseless death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department, that may no longer be possible. Um, We're recording this on Blackout Tuesday, and our hope is that we can use our platform to amplify black voices in the television community. Ben, this was your idea. Do you have anything to add? Well, no, I think he, I think he said it well. I mean, we're recording this on on Blackout Tuesday. Originally, the show must be paused. Um, but the idea behind that movement and an idea that's been forefront in all of our minds is finding ways to elevate the voices that have been routinely drowned out or ignored. Um, and you know, we're we're a television podcast. We're here to talk about. Um, you know, what's going on in the world of, of TV, usually scripted content, uh, usually, you know, offering critiques, we're um, diving into the industry angle of things and production shutdowns and all of that type of stuff. But uh, this week, you know, we're going to we're going to focus on what everybody's focusing on and what we should be focusing on, which is, um, you know, elevating black voices. So um, we've got a few stories that we want to share in terms of uh, in terms of articles that have been really helpful, uh, but also we're going to take the time to give some recommendations for creators, writers, directors, programs that you can watch right now to kind of, you know, keep this top of mind in a way that's both productive and healthy. So that's the goal. And again, like this is a conversation that needs to keep going. So no matter what's going on when this comes out, we, it's worth talking about. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. The first thing we want to talk about this week, there was a study released in January entitled Normalizing Injustice, the Dangerous Misrepresentations that Define Television Scripted Crime Genre, wherein the civil rights advocacy group Color of Change broke down 26 different scripted crime shows from the 2017-2018 season, including NCIS, Blue Bloods, and FBI Most Wanted, and randomly selected 70-80% of those episodes to diagnose the ways in which these shows affect our perceptions of law enforcement. One of the biggest takeaways was the criminal justice professionals on these shows typically commit wrongful actions in, in ways that normalize them, making, and I quote, bad actors seem good and wrongful actions seem right. Additionally, and perhaps not surprisingly, based on Hollywood's track record, it also found that showrunners and writers on crime dramas are overwhelmingly white men. Among showrunners, 81% are white men, and uh, 78% of the writers are white. Um, Only 9% of the writers are black. Across the genre, 20 of the 26 series had either no black writers or just one black writer, which is telling. I think it's something that's been going on for so long that it almost just has to be elevated again. It's something that has been has become its own genre. The genre has become something that's so sustainable and repeatable, and something that you know resurfaces in different forms time and time and time again. That people stop questioning 
the perspective from which it's being told. And I think one of the important things that the article points out, that the study points out, is that when a lot of these series are being done, even if they want to provide a nuanced depiction of uh, policemen and, or police officers, uh, they're hiring police consultants and you know former detectives and retired officers to do a lot of the consulting, and that's about as far as the research goes. And, and sometimes that's as far as they need it to go because they're literally just trying to do a procedural but they don't think about the effect of how that procedural can, you know, what that effect can be over the course of, you know, 10 seasons, especially when, you know, a, uh, the audience watching it is, you know, already more likely to disproportionately trust officers and not be in a position to think any other way, like not be give not be given any other reason to think any other way about it. So um, seeing this study get kind of, brought back up and seeing different voices kind of break it down in terms of, you know, how television can change and honor, you know, the reality of, of, of different people and their experience with the police. You know, that's, that's been incredibly valuable this week. It's a, it's an interesting reminder of the sort of fallacy involved with storytelling that focuses a lot on that ripped from the headlines aspect of things because uh if you can't trust your headlines as truth anymore or as unbiased or as as whatever it's it's really you're starting from sort of a false place so if you're starting these conversations from a very simplified place of police are the good guys and everyone else are the bad guys you're already you've already sort of set your universe up to be a fantasy um, instead of reality. So these studies are really important to remind us of how all of those things that we don't realize are influencing us are influencing us. I mean, if this past week has eliminated anything, it's the deeply uh, ingrained institutional racism of our hyper-militarized police forces. As you were saying, Libby, if that's what's being pulled from the headlines, being fed into the machinery of Hollywood and then aired as entertainment, it just begets the perpetual cycle of cops is good uh, or cops are good despite some bad apples or bad actions. It's also worth noting that that is often almost as much experience as, as the viewers are going to have with police. Like a lot of the people who watch CBS you know, they're, they're going to spend hours and hours and hours and hours of their life watching these shows as opposed to maybe one or two minor interactions in the real world. So it forms this image of, of who they are and that kind of unshakable image, even if you see fleeting reports or headlines or stories uh, that kind of contradict that image, it's solidified at that point. Like it's something that's become so prominent in your in your mind that it's hard to shake, even if you know better. Like even if, I mean, that's just, that's how television works. It's, it's one of those things where you might hear a story and think that it's reminiscent of a story that you saw on in a television episode. So your point of view is affected by that episode. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's something that, it's hard to take into account um, because it's so widespread. Uh, but again, that's that's the value of, of resurfacing this conversation and this study. I mean, white privilege, I think, for me, is realizing that watching things as a white woman is a point of view, as opposed to like a universal experience. 
uh, and in the environment I was raised in, you know, if you saw uh, officers of the law using um, unlawful force on someone innocent, you assumed, oh, well, something happened to precipitate this that I was not privy to. And so this is a reasonable reaction. No, I mean, it, it is incredibly troubling to see so many of the responses on Twitter to videos that show horrible, horrible crimes be, well, we this was edited. We didn't see the start of this. We don't know where this began. We just assume that they're correct for doing what they're doing, even if no matter what, even if they were provoked, there's no excuse for it. So, uh, no, again, like that's a, that's a great point in terms of how shows like this can, or shows like these, genres like these, representation like this, can frame a, a broader discussion. I mean, a real and, world discussion. And I think, like, speaking of like the perpetual cycle or like this fiction that is being drawn, we have a commander in chief who has, you know, Swiss cheese for brains and will shout law and order in all caps on Twitter and then bully a bunch of peaceful protesters outside of the White House so he can do a photo op in front of an Episcopal church. Uh, holding a Bible upside down. Oh, he picked the wrong people to mess with. Like, Episcopalians do not fuck around, and they do not mince words, and they are not afraid to fight. So he was just, like... I was shocked. At, I was shocked at how quickly they ha- like all the networks had Episcopalian uh, pastors on saying, "This is not us. He does not represent us. We uh, don't stand by for his actions." But speaking of law and order and shows of that ilk, there's been a movement online, specifically today, by actors across Hollywood and at various stages of their careers to donate money based on their portrayals of law enforcement in the past. Um, it was started by Griffin Newman, who listeners will likely know as the co-host of Blank Check, and or as Arthur from the most recent live-action iteration of The Tick, but uh, who apparently played a detective on Blue Bloods almost a decade ago. This has picked up steam with Brooklyn Nine-Nine Stephanie Beatrice and some writers we love, Leela Bayak of Watchmen and Leftovers fame and Max Silvestri, who comically added that in addition to his work on medical police in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he felt guilty for being the only human under 50 who has spent time convincing people to watch Bosch. Ben, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I just, it, it struck me as a great way to kind of, um, again, kind of repurpose the conversation, like redirect how those shows are perceived and those characters are perceived and what it means to um, kind of take that, that mantle of that heroic mantle on yourself and, and put it out, like take that on in the sense of being on television and representing somebody on television and playing a character and then, you know, applying what that means to the real world. And, and I, I don't know, I thought that was a great way to kind of frame the purpose of it where it's, it's, a lot of this is about taking something that you notice and instead of just realizing it, thinking on it, um, you know, coming to terms with it yourself, which are all important things to do, it's finding a way to act on it. And this seemed like um, something that, you know, could, could really resonate. And what was exciting to me about kind of following up on that story wasn't necessarily that when he did it, you know, Stephanie did it and a few other notable people did it, you know, not just actors, but people who wrote on, you know, police shows as well. Uh, but there's a lot of people who, you know, somebody talked about being in a high school play where they played a cop and they donated because of it. And um, people really seem to take the idea to heart. And I think that's part of what 
we can do right now if you can find a way to kind of break through the conversation and reframe a perspective so that it resonates with a lot of people and makes them think about their past and think about things they've accepted and uh, come to new realizations about that and then act on them, then that's incredibly helpful. So um, it was, I mean, it was quite a donation. It's, it's a sizable amount for someone, again, who was just briefly on a show, but it's the, it's the act that, that really counts. So... Ben, as you mentioned uh, in the open, uh, we're recording this on Blackout Tuesday. Uh, the show must be paused. And I think you had the idea to sort of use a very brief amount of time just to sort of point people in the direction of, of work that they should be uh, that should be acknowledged. Yeah, no, and I, I feel like, you know, with that in mind, with again, with, with elevating uh, Black voices first and foremost, a lot of the thing that I'm struggling with personally right now is just knowing exactly how to spend my time. Um, you're, you, you get a lot of advice through social media and there's only so much you can donate and so much you can read and you know so much you can do, um, but you don't want to necessarily leave the conversation or stop thinking about it or, or you know, um, finding ways to contact people or, um, you know, talking, like, you know, researching who to vote for and, and uh, you know, what's coming up in your community and all of those kind of initiatives. But when you do, when you have to kind of step away, I, I think a lot of people turn to TV. And if your mind's not ready to go from, from you know, these very serious issues uh, to something completely disconnected, you know, like I'm very happy to watch Studio Ghibli, you know, right now, but there's still time when I have to bring myself back in. I think there's a lot of different avenues into this, depending on what mood you're in. And you know, for me, a lot of the ways that I find into these discussions as a as a very quiet Midwestern human being who's innately shy and, and doesn't like talking about complicated things, um, it's through comedy. Like, I, I like a lot of comedians and find that they're, the way that they bring up issues, both in their stand-up material and in their television program and their writing is much more affecting because of the context they provide. And I think that Gerard Carmichael is somebody who, you know, his show ended a little bit too soon. The, the Carmichael show that was on NBC, um, it was something that a lot of people praised for, you know, using a classic sitcom structure. They had a live studio audience. They had sets. They had, um, you know, they were writing toward jokes, but they didn't shy away from serious issues and serious topics. And they also didn't write their characters into boxes, like into neat little, you know, I get who this guy is. I get who this girl is. I get these characters. You were always kind of surprised by where the story was going to go. Um, And all of those seasons are still available on Hulu. You can watch all of them right now. It's also nice to remember that uh, he's an executive producer on Rami and helped get that show on the air, which is you know, has a new season out, which is worth checking out as well. Um, but uh, but in addition to that, when I was looking through a lot of this, there's so much available on Hulu. Like there's just so many great black creators whose work is available on Hulu from Donald Glover, who honestly, like we talk about Atlanta all the time. People talk about Atlanta all the time, but the viewership numbers are still relatively low. Uh, compared to you know a lot of popular programs out there, so there's plenty of people who haven't experienced the show, and it's definitely a show that's worth re-experiencing again. Um, and both of those seasons are on Hulu now that you know FX and Hulu have come together. 
Um, Stephanie Robinson, who worked on Atlanta originally, she's now working on what we do in the shadows as an executive producer and writer. She wrote the uh, Jackie T- Daytona episode of what we do in the shadows, which has been making the rounds and is incredibly good. Um, and she's also working on Fargo season four, whenever that comes out, hopefully later this year. But Stephanie Robinson is fantastic, and anything she does, she's very drawn to kind of silly, goofy, take-your-mind-out-of-it humor, but it's exceptionally good, so it's obviously worth connecting with. Um, And then a personal favorite who I've talked about on the podcast a number of times, and we've written extensively about over the years, is Justin Simeon, who created Dear White People on Netflix, um, as well as the movie. Uh, He also created bad hair which i think is a hulu movie i didn't even look that up but i'm pretty sure that's i think they picked it up out of sundance after a little bit of time um so again justin simeon he's on social media uh he's uh very good at having these conversations and he's also just incredibly good with dialogue so like watching that show for the speed in which it moves and how much you can kind of absorb and get swept up in the story um, you'll kind of learn a lot and see a lot of different perspectives along the way. He's another one who really tries hard to incorporate characters who don't fit into any sort of expected mold. So you can kind of think you're going along with somebody on one journey and it pivots into a whole new area. And again, like that helps me connect to certain topics. Like it, it always has. And I think that these creators and these shows do a very good job of it. So Uh, depending on what you're looking for, what type of show you're looking for. I think those are a good place to start. Uh, Ben, you're absolutely right. Uh, Bad Hair was bought by Hulu. I don't know when it is going to air. There's no release date yet. Way to go, Hulu. You've also got Dear White People producer Yvette Lee Bowser. Her, she wrote for, she's a consulting producer on Blackish, which is on Hulu, but she also was the creator of Living Single, which is fully available on Hulu. So good job. Uh, Libby, what are, what are you, what do you want to talk about? I, as being a, uh, a, a soft spoken Midwesterner who likes to do a good job at everything. I actually, uh, I don't turn to comedies in times like this, which is strange because I turn to comedies a lot. I actually, I want to see where I have failed uh, which is an issue my therapist and I are working on. But um, I I want to know more. So I turned to things like When They See Us um, by Ava DuVernay on Netflix, which a lot of people I'm sure watched when it came out last year. It's a huge Emmy contender. Um, now a lot of nominations, but not a lot of wins. However, it's still... A great parallel to what we're seeing today and um, a great limited series about how this isn't a new issue um, and how how the Justice Department fails us and specifically fails black people uh, more often than most. Um, if you're on Netflix for Ava DuVernay then stop by for 13th which was her documentary on the prison industrial complex and and how that is also a huge player in our culture that we that we I mean white people are regularly not seeing. I mean, if you want 
really on the nose comparisons to what we're experiencing right now. There is always HBO's Watchmen, which um, started literally with the Tulsa massacre and the destruction of Black Wall Street, which saw its 99th anniversary the other day and um, goes on to examine cops wearing masks and right and wrong and all of those things that we take for granted. Leo pointed this out to me earlier, but like generational trauma. So if you can, ha if you can handle it, if you can stomach it, if you can handle a sort of fantasy take on what we're experiencing right now, I'd say go for it. But if you don't do want things slightly more lighthearted, let me, let me uh, show you over to our brand new streaming service, HBO Max, where the Boondocks is streaming, which is one of the greatest animated series of our time, um, does not flinch from dealing with the hard issues. I'm the Rube here, as has been mentioned, and my opinion carries very little weight, but I always lean on sketch comedy with a satirical bent. And so I would, on Netflix, Astronomy Club would be something I recommend. And then uh, I had the fortune of hanging in the same circles in Chicago as uh, Ashley Nicole Black, who is one of uh, the four main cast members of the Black Lady Sketch Show. And I think actually like her her sketch uh, with Patti LaBelle is the one that kind of went viral. I highly recommend uh, Black Lady Sketch Show and that's on HBO Max or Hulu if you have HBO like I do. Don't confuse people. And then of course there's Key and Peele, there's uh, Sherman Showcase is is a, a great new addition to that sketch world. Yeah, they have a um, new one coming out later this month on IFC. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets, or the president, or the right-wing media lie to you. Here, here. Or the cops. Or the cops. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.